we read together to remind us of where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to have you with us. I want to share a couple things before we jump into today's message. Uh, number one, if you have um, not yet signed up for water baptism and you're ready to take that next step going public, kind of with your faith in Jesus, this Easter is your chance. Two Sundays away, you can sign up at the Central Hub. We'll walk you through kind of the, the pre-steps leading up towards water baptism, and so be a great uh, time to do that, uh, get, get in on that. The other thing is, with Easter right around the corner, we're doing something as a church that we want to invite you into, and you'll be able to find information on our Central Hub um, all about this. We'll have some available in print next week, but now, we would invite you to uh, kind of put some spiritual focus and emphasis kind of in your own kind of formation and getting your heart and mind and kind of self right as we per, um, anticipate the resurrection. Last year, we did a kind of a family experience kind of during all of Holy Week. This, this year, uh, what we wanted to do as a church family corporately, from the oldest to the youngest among us, is we want to invite you into a 40-hour um, experience. Uh, 40 hours, we're going to uh, challenge you to fast for 40 hours, starting Good Friday at 3 p.m. all the way through 7 a.m. Easter Sunday, uh, that next Sunday morning. And uh, there is a uh, devotional that has some scriptures to read, prayers, some um, devotional thoughts, and some activities that you can do individually. You can do it with little kids if you have those at home. And it's going to be a great way for us to set aside some time and to look towards Jesus this Easter season. Not where we, we don't want to get caught up in all of the extra hoopla, although we don't have a problem with having fun. We think Easter's a great time to have fun and celebrate and put a smile on people's face because we have a reason to be joyful. Amen? Uh, but we don't want to miss this moment to have a true encounter with the risen King. And we want to prepare our hearts, and we want to participate with our bodies, with our minds, our wills, our emotions, and our spirits to engage. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you and ask you and double-dog dare you to go out of maybe your normal thought process as we get ready for Easter. And let's wrap the, these 40 hours as a part of our Easter celebration so that we don't lose sight on why we are celebrating in the first place. Amen? So those are some things to, to be looking for. Hey, if you have your Bibles, join me in Matthew chapter 1. We're beginning a, a brand new collection of messages that are going to go on for 
um, a long time. We're going to take our time as we walk through the gospel of Matthew, looking at some really, really key important things. And uh, there'll be several scriptures that we're going to look at today. But as we get started, I want to make a statement that um, I think you're going to, at first hearing, probably go, duh. But I want you to sit with it just for a minute. And here's the statement. The Gospels are the Gospel. The Gospels are the Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they record the life, the teachings, the ministry, and miracles, the messages, and the mission of Jesus. They proclaim to us the gospel. The gospels are the gospel. And it's important that we start with an understanding of that because if we start with a gospel that Jesus didn't preach, or if we don't start with the gospel that Jesus himself preached, we might end up with a gospel that Jesus never preached. So we're going to go back, and, and I really want to encourage us over these next, little, next several weeks as we kind of look at kind of two weeks of introduction as to what is the gospel. Next week, I'm going to get really, really clear in contrasting some things that are not the gospel. And then we're going to jump right into kind of the teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, the life of Jesus, and uh, kind of go right through the book, kind of journaling and, and walking and just really taking our time so that we understand the gospel. Uh, I, I think that that's going to be really important. I want to give uh, some some uh, list some credit here at the beginning of this message. Uh, throughout this series, I'm going to be quoting and referencing uh, several things and people who have been really helpful in their writings and their teachings to, to really uh, help me grapple and find some great words and ways of thinking and approaching. And so I want to give some credit to John Mark Comer, John Tyson. Um, there's a book John Tyson wrote called Kingdom Values. There's a book that I'm going to reference today from N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar and professor, a book called Simply Good News. Uh, author Mark Clark wrote a book called The Problem of Jesus, which is phenomenal. Um, and then Scott McKnight wrote a book called King Jesus Gospel. And I just stole his title and said that's a great way to understand the gospel. And so that's what we're calling this whole collection is the King Jesus Gospel. And uh, then there's a book by Matthew Bates called Gospel Allegiance. These have been really, really uh, phenomenal kind of writings and resources. And I just want to kind of cite my sources up front uh, so that as we get into this, we can just start rolling right on through. I hope you've got your Bible or something to write with. As we get into looking at uh, the King Jesus Gospel, starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Now, what you need to know about the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew was one of the uh, 12 disciples, followers of Jesus. And uh, there is some debate, um, not really amongst very reputable people, but there is some debate out there that Matthew didn't write this book. But most scholars, uh, by and large, throughout the ages in history, have attributed this Gospel that we have to Matthew, the disciple who walked with Jesus. And uh, Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience, um, which you're going to pick up on really, really quickly as we get into this. And uh, one thing that you would also want to know about this gospel, this particular book in the Bible, is that it is one of the synoptic gospels. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
John is a little bit of an outlier. He writes very pastorally, uh, focusing on the last part of Jesus' life and ministry. And he really writes from a pastoral perspective because he wants people to just believe in who Jesus is, the incarnate Son of God. And he writes uh, with a really clear perspective and emphasis. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called synoptic gospels. In other words, synoptic uh, really just means that they come with the same vision or they're seeing the same thing. That's what synoptic means. So you can like overlay them and you're going to see kind of a complete and whole picture as to the gospels themselves and who Jesus is. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus. The Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Let me read again. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. I want to play a little game this morning, and I want to invite you to step out of your really, really conservative background and encourage you to be a little bit more vocal this morning as we all participate in this game. Uh, I want to play a little bit of a word association game because I think you'll find here in a minute, as, as you would already probably agree, that uh, we often have different viewpoints or ways in which we would describe the same thing. One word, and sometimes we even kind of have different understandings of the even meaning of the word itself. And I'm not really going to get into too much of uh, that today, but I do want to uh, play a little bit of a word association. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to uh, say the kind of first thing that comes to your mind when I say this word. Are you ready? Here we go. We'll start with an easy one. Coffee. Cream. Necessity. Drug. I'm hearing it all. Here's another one. Stinks. Oh. Gender reveal parties. Yeah, oh, we have mixed bag of tricks on that one. All right, here's another one. I need you to think hard. Toddlers. Oh, sticky, no. Somebody said no more, right? Oh, absolutely. All right, here, here we go. Here's another one. March Madness. Y'all, I need... My people who are not basketball fans to intercede for your pastor this week. I feel spiritual attacks are coming my way as a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. I need to stand strong in my love. I need you to intercede for me this week. All right, here, here's the last one. Ford vehicles. Some people are just laughing, chuckling. Some of you aren't participating at all. And uh, I think you got a demerit in heaven. No star for you today. Ford Vigo, some people say uh, Ford stands for fast on race day. Other people would say Ford stands for found on roadside dead. It just kind of depends. Fix or repair daily. Really depends on who you are as to how you're going to define these things sometimes. What? what association we attach to these words. Uh, let me give you another one, and you don't need to respond. I just want you to think about this one. Gospel. What is the gospel? Is it good news? Well, good news about what? Heaven, the cross, loving your neighbor, and doing justice. 
Is it justification? Is it, is it grace alone? Is it salvation? Salvation from what? Saved from what? Sin? Hell? Death? Myself? Robocalls trying to tell me my car warranty is expired and needs to be renewed? Like, saved from what? How we define and come to understand these things is super important. Why? Because in our day and age, secularism, the gospel of secularism, the, the good news of secularism, wants to tell you some things as well. They, they want to offer you salvation through a false promise of self-fulfillment. They want to offer you a, a, a salvation of success, of power, wealth, sexuality, and autonomy. They want to promise to save you from insignificance, boredom, loneliness, and meaninglessness. But it doesn't actually have the power to do any of those things. I want to start this morning by defining some terms. What is the gospel? And I really want to encourage us for a minute during this kind of beginning part of this new collection as we're going to look at the King Jesus gospel through the lens of and the writings of Matthew, the apostle, and the disciple. I really want to encourage you in this series to move away from having a bumper sticker understanding of the gospel. I want you to set aside the knitted quilt that's hanging on your wall with a scripture on it. I want you to set aside your coffee mug scripture verse of John 3.16 for just a minute. And I want us to expound and expand our understanding of the whole gospel that Jesus proclaimed. That he presented, that he lived, that he invites you into. And I want us to understand kind of back at its core and its roots what it is that Jesus is proclaiming. Because if we have a gospel presented to us that we hold to that doesn't lead us to an apprenticeship under Jesus the Messiah, then we have a gospel that is deficient in many ways. We have a gospel that is missing some things to it. It might be great sounding things, but it might not be complete in our understanding of the gospel. I think this is some of what the beauty of the Nicene Creed does for us, is it kind of takes more than just um, uh, 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 top-level selections of topics of theology and and it wraps into a whole story that ties us to a church that has been much longer standing than the nation in which we live. It, it goes much longer than your life and much goes further back to the ancestry tree that you probably traced. It has its roots in something bigger and more robust. It is a whole story of who God is. And, and I think there's some value in understanding of that. I want us to, to zoom out for a little bit. Next week, I'm going to share, again, in contrast, four gospels that we hear, four American gospels that we hear that, that many of us have grown up kind of reiterating and parroting and understanding, but, but those four taken out of the story of Jesus and who Jesus is leaves us with something insufficient and even deficient or incomplete in our lives. So, so what is the gospel? Let's define the term. The gospel is... Uh, in the Greek New Testament, the gospel is translated from the Greek noun, euangelion. It occurs 76 times in the New Testament as, quote-unquote, good news. 
And the verb ou and um, galizo occurs 54 times, and it means to bring or announce good news. Both words are derived from the noun angelos, which means messenger. In classical Greek, ou and galios was one who brought a message of victory or other political or personal news that caused joy. In, in addition, euangelizomai meant to speak as a messenger of gladness, to proclaim good news. Further, the noun euangelion becomes a technical term for the message of victory, though it was also used for a political or private message that brought great joy. It's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. And it's true news. We live in a place and a time where there is much misinformation. And as followers of, of Jesus or as people who um, walk this walk, who, who claim to worship God, who call and uh, bear the, the label Christian in our lives, over the years it has kind of baffled me how easy it has been for Christians to grab a hold of things that are not true based on a headline that we want to be true. We'll easily grab those and share those out, and it's easy to fall whether into conspiracies or fall into a world in which maybe lacks some true reality and context where it's easy to find ourselves deceived just because somebody can talk something smooth or it sounds really cute on a bumper sticker or a funny, funny meme that we love and we share. I think we have to recognize that Jesus came and proclaimed good news, not bad news. But we have a lot of bad news in our world. Broken homes seem to be on every block. Addiction seems to grab a hold of the best of us. There are power struggles and dynamics at play in our lives. There is doubt. There is evil. There is chaos. During the pandemic, I loved watching um, John Krasinski's uh, Some Good News that went out on YouTube and other things, maybe because I like the, the show The Office or maybe because it just was just enough humor and lightheartedness mixed with some warmth and some real genuine human good news and good deeds, and it just kind of brought a smile to my face during that, uh, uh, during that time. Good news, it's something that was proclaimed. It brought joy. It was a message of victory. Let me unpack for just a minute how the original audience to hear this and understand good news would have understood it. See, in Roman culture, they would have understood good news in a very specific way. Uh, think back to Julius Caesar just for a minute from your ancient world history class for me. Julius Caesar, he was a powerful political figure. He was assassinated in 44 BC by Octavian and Mark Antony. They eventually went on to defeat other political figures like Brutus and Cassius. Then a power struggle and war broke out even between Octavian and Mark Antony with a crucial battle taking place within this civil war of the Rome, Roman Empire in 31 B.C. N.T. Wright 
offers us this backdrop of understanding of just these historical events into the Roman understanding of this idea of good news. He says this. Now, suppose you'd been living in Rome during this time period, during 13 years of civil war. It was a terrible time. Even though the fighting was taking place a long way off, the city itself would be full of rumors, factions, threats, and political jockeying for position. Everyone would be waiting anxiously for news from the front. Suppose you had been a friend of the Caesar family, a friend of the late Julius, also of his heir Octavian. If Octavian won, it would be good news for you. If Antony won, it would be bad news for you. And you might have to leave town in a hurry. Then at last, Rome hears what has happened. Good news! Octavian Caesar has won a great victory. He is now master of the whole Roman world. This is good news about something that has just happened. The backstory of the Civil War has come to a close. Peace is now at hand. The word good news became a regular slogan for announcing to the world that Octavian, soon to be acclaimed as Augustus, by which he is now more usually known, had brought peace, justice, and prosperity into the world. But it would immediately imply good news for you about something that would happen shortly. Octavian, having won the victory, would be coming back to Rome. First, he would have to consolidate his victory, especially, uh, especially in Egypt, which was to become a vital part of the empire. Then there would be a military mopping up, operation to, to make sure the victory was fully implemented. It would be nearly two years before Octavian finally returned to the capital where he proclaimed that he had brought peace to the whole world. During those two years, the city was poised between news about something that soon happened, namely his return in triumph, and, the uh, and what had just happened, a decisive victory. That is what news does. It creates a new period of time. During that time, People in Rome would know what was coming. Octavian would, of course, handsomely reward his friends and supporters. He would likely punish those who had supported Antony, not to mention those who had sided with Julius Caesar's assassins in the first place. For the moment, though, the city would be living between the event that had just happened and the event that would shortly happen. This is their understanding of what news is. And as I was reading that, hopefully you were starting to pick up on how they were relating, how the gospel writers would relate good news that the Roman people and the, the citizens of that day would understand and the life of Jesus and how he came on the scene, what he came to do, what he came to proclaim, what he brought about. Oh, I want to kind of unpack this in, in kind of four statements about good news to kind of help us again zoom out and have an understanding of what the gospel writers are trying to communicate to us about what is the gospel, what is good news. Here, here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down. Good news requires an announcement of an event that has happened. It requires an announcement. Something good has happened. Look at Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 10, it says, But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy 
to all people. The Savior, yeah, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David. The angel, the messenger, the, the angelos was coming with good news, u angelion. Something good has just happened. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul similarly uses the same word, euangelion, to, to announce some good news about something that happened, an event that happened, events that transpired that happened. It's part of the gospel, the good news. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this, somebody say those next two words, what are they? Good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. He goes, no, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures, Old Testament says. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, just as the scripture. I read that again. I don't know what's happening with me. Verse 5, that's where I'm at. He was seen then by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by many more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he, had, then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time. I also saw him. Paul is situating and making an announcement of some events that had happened. Jesus came. He died on a cross for our sins, just like Scripture said that he would. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised again, and we saw him with our eyes, the risen Savior. It was an announcement that brought some good news, and they were holding to it. Good news of the gospel. The gospel requires an announcement. It requires this announcement of an event that has happened. Here's the second thing. The good news, the gospel, requires a larger context, a backstory within which this all makes sense. It's not just the events themselves that happen that make it good news. It's understanding the context, the struggle, the cultural moment, understanding the people and the long-awaited hope of a coming Savior. It was, it was understanding the hundreds of years of waiting and anguish for a Messiah to come. Understanding the gospel requires that we understand the story of Israel, that we understand the story of God's people. The gospel has impact in your life, but it was first and foremost about a people. It was first and foremost about a story of a redeemer coming. There was a larger story at play. And Matthew starts his writing of this good news, of this gospel about Jesus, setting the stage for this very backstory. Let's look at it again. This, he says, is the record of the ancestors of Jesus. 
the Messiah, descendant of David, and of Abraham. Why is that important? Here's why that's important. He's setting the larger context. He was a descendant of Abraham. And these genealogies that he goes on to list for the next uh, 14, 15 verses is a geology, genealogy to help us understand that Jesus came out of a context of a story. He was a descendant of Abraham. In other words, he came to fulfill and be a part of the people. He was one of them. It's identifying part of his humanity in this story. Linking him to Abraham, who is the father of faith. Abraham, who through the line of Abraham would, would have to be someone who could fulfill the laws of the covenant, the, the law requirements. And Matthew goes even out of his way throughout his gospel writing, through all 28 chapters. He, he kind of goes out of his way to hint at and link Jesus as the person who is the deliverer that Moses, who we learned about last week, pointed to as the ultimate deliverer. Matthew writes a lot and kind of links us back to this historical figure of, of Moses so that we understand that there is such a larger story going on than someone coming out of nowhere, launching onto the scene, or overnight success, if you will. No, no, there is something that has been at play. There has been a story that has been unfolding for centuries. And then he links them to, he's a descendant of David. Why is that important? It's important for many reasons. Number one, it establishes the royal line for Israel. This, this establishes the beginning of a king that would come. God promised David that he would send a deliverer, a Messiah through his line and from his descendants. It's situated in a much larger story. This is why we can look at the gospel and say it is a King Jesus gospel. Because Jesus is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He has risen again and he is coming back again. He is king. And his gospel is that of a kingdom. He is the the king. Now, we don't understand royalty and kingship very much. Like our understanding is like maybe the Queen of England or a really weird uh, interview with a former member of the royal family and Oprah. That's like our context. Or others of you like me who are huge fans of the show The Crown on Netflix, like that is our understanding of royalty and royal lines. But Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is king and he is the right heir to the throne of God's people and he traces it all through the line of David as well and then he says at the very beginning this is a record of Jesus the Messiah that word Messiah means anointed one anointed one it means anointed one Matthew was beginning to unveil something here's the third thing about good news Good news requires, the gospel requires a sudden unveiling of the new. A sudden unveiling of something new that is coming. Of something new that is available. Uh, Luke records this in his gospel in Luke chapter 4. Jesus had just returned out of Galilee, starting in verse 14 of Luke 4. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee 
filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. And he taught regularly in their synagogue and was praised by everyone. This is Jesus. And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. I want you to understand, Jesus regularly attended church. That's like a cheap pastor, kind of just by the way moment for us all right there. As was his practice, as usual, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. How convenient. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Somebody say anointed. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Uengelion, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind, they will see. The oppressed, oh, they're going to get set free. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked intently at Jesus, and he began to speak to them. And he simply said, the scripture you have just heard has now been fulfilled this very day. Mike, drop, and off he went. This very day, this has been fulfilled. Jesus pronounced and proclaimed a gospel. Part of his good news proclamation was the sudden unveiling of something new that was about to happen. And it was good news all around. He is the anointed Messiah. He is the anointed one, Messiah. The one who has been anointed to do this, sent on mission to do this. He was going to bring a new covenant. He was going to take the old covenant and bring it full circle, making it complete. It was like a, an announcement of, of a, for those of you who are Fortnite fans, an unveiling of a new expansion pack available to him in this life, this, this world in which he was sent. It was an expansion pack that made it more accessible, that brought more things available to more people. It was an unveiling of something truly, truly good. And friends, this is what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus is all about. It is an unfolding and an unveiling of something new. It is meant to expand and to grow, not through our own coercion or our own selfishness, but rather through selfless, sacrificial love. This is the King Jesus gospel. It unveils this moment in an event in time. Something good was occurring. Something good was occurring. Listen to Jesus' own words about this announcement, this gospel, this euangelion moment. In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark is setting the stage right here. This is what's happening. This is what's coming. If you keep reading on, he goes through, gets baptized. Some amazing things happen. And it says later on, verse 14, after John the Baptist had been arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached good news. What did he preach? He didn't preach bad news. He didn't preach fake news. 
He didn't uh, preach selfish news. He didn't preach self-help news. He preached good news. His good news was this. Jesus' own words. The time promised by God has now come at last, he announced. Why? Because good news must be announced. He announced it. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Repent. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Friends, here's here's the last thing that I want you to understand about the good news. The good news requires... The gospel requires, our understanding of the gospel requires a transformation of the present moment. Sitting in between what has already happened and a future moment that will happen. And Jesus says if you're going to sit in that moment, if you're going to experience the kingdom, you must know that the kingdom it's near, it's near, it's close to you. So therefore repent. Repent. And believe, repent, repent and believe, repent and believe. In other words, if, if I could maybe rephrase it or, or borrow the language from, from John Mark Homer and, and his rephrasing of this understanding of repent and believe, he says this, he says, rethink everything you think you know about who God is, about who you are, and about what the good life you actually crave is, and put your trust, confidence, and allegiance in Jesus to heal you, save you, free you, and lead you to the life that you ache for. This is the good news of the kingdom. It's a a moment that transforms us, but we sit in a present moment in between what happened, what Jesus did, the understanding of that, and yet we ourselves are still aching and longing and waiting for a future moment that will one day still to come happen. Think think of it like this. In the Old Covenant, they had laws and ceremonies and sacrifices. They they had to sacrifice these things. Then Jesus shows up on the scene and preaches and proclaims something, and he says, I am going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he announces a new covenant available to all mankind, regardless of your gender, whether male or female, regardless of your social status, rich or poor, elite, educated or uneducated. He says, I've come to announce a new covenant, a new way to access and interact with God. Doesn't matter what your race is. Doesn't matter the region you were born in. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. Doesn't matter the language that you speak. I came to pronounce a new covenant, and it's good news giving you access to God Almighty. But don't miss this, friends. We are partakers of this new covenant. But there's still an eternal unveiling, fulfillment, where sin and evil and Satan is vanquished from the presence of our world forever. There's something that we hold to now that transforms us, but we still wait with some hope and some longing for a future that still will come. That's good news. That all of the injustice that we experience here and now, the pain, the suffering, the addiction, the brokenness, the racism, the violence, 
that which we experience today, one day it will all be gone. That's good news. And it's more than just a cute phrase you put on a coffee mug. It's more than just a phrase that you try to simplify all the way down without fully understanding the complexities of the truth of what it really means for all of us. The gospel is about a kingdom. It's redemption that has been paid for now, but a full restoration that will come later in our world. It's good news. This is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. This is the gospel of the kingdom, the reign of a king and his kingdom that will come. His kingdom is near and here now, but yet not fully here now. This is the announcement that we make as people of God. Not that put your faith in Jesus and all your problems will go away. Not pray one prayer and everything in your life will be transformed in a miraculous moment right here, right now. No. It's, it's, not, it's not the full understanding of the gospel. It's not, not get saved and belong to a family of God and you'll have best friends forever and nobody will ever hurt you again. No, it's just not true. There's something good and holy and true and full about what Christ does in us today. But there's still an ache and a longing of something that will come tomorrow. We're situated in this in-between place. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Here's perhaps the most... Here's my favorite encapsulation of the gospel in this moment. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, from Satan, from death and hell, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to establish His kingdom through His people who participate in a loyal allegiance through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our profound joy. I believe that's the gospel, friends. Would you stand as we come to the table of the Lord together? And if you would, go ahead and pull out the communion elements. If you're at home, grab something like bread, something like juice. And let's go ahead, if you're here in the room, go ahead and open up these elements. You can peel back the top layer and get the wafer. And then the second, open the juice and just hold on to it. If you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes just for a minute. Take a couple deep breaths and just allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the things that we were just hearing and exploring and understanding. Some of it may be review for you. Some of it may be brand new thoughts for you. The words of Jesus in Mark 1, 
repent and believe in the gospel. We repent first, turning from the things that we were trusting in to justify ourselves. We repent and we turn from the ways of living in which we were trying to find satisfaction and wholeness and security in. The things that have replaced God in our lives and perhaps have become a God in our lives. We repent and we turn away from those things. All the things in the world we look for to find joy and eternal significance and pleasure and identity that aren't Jesus Christ. We repent of those things today. For you, that could be money, it could be sex, or relationships, or power, or reputation, or family, or entertainment. We turn away from these ways of thinking and living that are not in line with how God made us to live. We turn away from the things that we thought would fill the ache for the life that we were longing for to find a God who loves us. And then Jesus said to believe to put your faith, your trust, your allegiance, your loyalty in what he did for us, what his death and his resurrection accomplished for us on the cross where Jesus died for us because of our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God that was meant for us. This is the invitation Jesus makes to each of us to turn away from our sin, our selfishness, the way of the world and turn towards him. Instead, Apostle Paul said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is this Lord, believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The salvation work of the Spirit begins to move you into a new way of living, a new way to truly be human. Lord, many of us are in that place today where we know we need to repent and believe. Some of us, God, we just need to get our eyes fixed back on you. So we repent. Lord, teach us what does it mean to believe in this good news? What does it mean to be followers of you? What does it mean to be participants in your kingdom? You didn't call us to spectate or just find entrance into, but rather to participate in. Or would you teach us what the gospel is? And Lord, today we proclaim that your body was broken and your blood was poured out, making sufficient payment for the sins that separated us and brought us judgment. And we receive those today in faith and belief in you, Jesus. Let's take the bread together. now the juice if you just hang on to those cups you'll be able to dispose of them on your way out of the sanctuary in a minute let me pray over us today father would your spirit continue to draw us into relationship with you this week would you help us to turn from the things that we need to turn from and hold firmly to the belief, to the good news, the announcement that you made. Help us to understand what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And Lord, help us put our loyalty, our faith, our allegiance 
moving us in your direction and away from the ways of the world. We pray these things today, God. And Lord, I pray a blessing over my friends, my family, your people. I pray, Lord, that you would bless us and keep us. May you make your face shine on us and be gracious to us. Would you lift your countenance towards us and give us your peace? We pray this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.